We've been watch, working through the Apostles' Creed as a church, which is an ancient statement of belief written hundreds and hundreds of years ago that in just a few short sentences really sums up what it means for us to be followers of Jesus, what it means to know God. Uh, and we're going to look at one particular phrase today, uh, I believe in the Holy Spirit, because it's Pentecost Sunday today, so it's important we focus on that phrase together and learn who the Holy Spirit is and what he's doing in our lives. Uh, to help us to understand that, uh, Michiel is going to read a bit of scripture to you now from the book of John. Um, so if you have a Bible with you, you might want to turn there, and Michiel on the video is going to read that to us now. Today's reading is from John 14, verse 15 through 26. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Okay, welcome back, everybody. Um, over the last few centuries, the last three or four hundred years, uh, a massive change has happened in the world around us. Uh, a great movement has taken place. On one hand, there's been the abandonment, the throwing off of any kind of religion or religious influence in our lives. There would have been, uh, uh, just after the Second World War, uh, they reckon about 80% of the Dutch population would have been members of a local church. Whereas now, 70-odd years later, in a city like this in Amsterdam, maybe only 1% or 2% of people uh, would attend a church on a, on a normal 
Sunday. And that's not just true of Amsterdam, but all across the Western world, people have been throwing off what they've considered to be the constraints of religion, the way that the church and other institutions have held people down. There's been a releasing of that. And in its place has uh, become an embracing of the idea of self. We've become more and more lovers of our of ourselves, and we talk about what it means to be an, an individual. And that's not, I don't mean to say that's a horribly negative thing. There's lots of positive changes that have taken place in our society. When we consider uh, human rights, for instance, where people have taken the concept of ourselves importantly, that every person is made equally in the image of God and deserves respect and care because of that. But along with this removal, this abandonment of religion and the embracing of the self, the lifting up of humanity, one of the side effects of that has become not just an appropriate love of self, but an an inappropriate love of ourselves. An idolatry of the idea of self has crept in. That more and more we're taught to, first and foremost, to love our selves. That's the thing that guides so much of our lives. And we'll say things to people, things like, just do what's right for you. Or we'll say, do what makes you happy. Or we'll say to people, follow your heart. Or when we hit problems in life, the solution we encourage is all around self-esteem or your self-worth. We talk about self-respect or having a positive self-image. We admire people around us who are, who are self-made, that they've built their own fortune. And anyone who's kind of inherited a fortune, we would look down upon them. What we really are seeking after is a, a self-sufficiency that within ourselves we can find everything we need to navigate through life, that we don't need to rely on anyone else or any other support. But somewhere within us, if we search hard enough, we can find what we need to make the best of life. And this outlook on life, this idolatry of ourselves, that affects even our relationship with God. We come to God and we accept him on the basis of what we believe he can offer to us. And anything we read about God, anything we discover about God that we find uncomfortable, then we just airbrush, we just Photoshop that, that out. We just ignore those bits. We, we come to God on, on our terms, not his terms. We want to dictate to God what he can say to us and what he's like. And when it comes to this subject of the Holy Spirit, We often treat the Holy Spirit as a nice additive, like a spiritual energy drink, like Red Bull, but with new added Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit just comes a nice vitamin hit that we take, or a a kind of a a fun tool that we kind of use in in our lives. And yet, as Michiel read in that passage, there's a very confronting verse in there, verse 17, 
where it says, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. And what we know about the Holy Spirit is really important because when we read the Holy Spirit, when we read about him in the Bible, he doesn't appear as a nice kind of additive, a kind of a spiritual hit or a spiritual high. That's not how the Bible describes the Holy Spirit. And you might argue that reading this creed, as Lon was reading to us earlier, the Apostles' Creed, it doesn't really give us much information about the Holy Spirit. It just says, I believe in the Holy Spirit. But actually, if you rewind back to the start of the creed, it talks about Jesus Christ being conceived by the Holy Spirit. And there's a little bit of a, a, a hint there about what the Holy Spirit does. Because if you read, there's an, another ancient creed called the Nicene Creed, and that describes the Holy Spirit as the giver of life. That's what the Holy Spirit primarily does. He's the giver of life. Not a life additive, not a life vitamin, a kind of a high, something to add into your life to help you a little bit. He's the giver of life itself. He gives life to Jesus. Jesus is conceived by the Holy Spirit. He gives life to us. If you're a follower of Jesus, to become a Christian means you've been flooded with the resurrection power of God. That something has happened where you've died with Christ and have been raised with him. His resurrection power has flooded into your life. You've been regenerated. You've been made anew by the Holy Spirit. He's given you spiritual life. It even talks about right at the beginning of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 1, how the Holy Spirit was over the waters at the beginning of creation. That the Holy Spirit was breathing life into creation, into the world around us. And that doesn't mean the Holy Spirit is an impersonal force. The Holy Spirit is a person, just like God the Father, just like God the Son. We can grieve the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes and comforts us. He counsels us. He helps us. He's an equal member of the Trinity, along with the Father and the Son. The Holy Spirit is the manifest, active power and presence of God. You could describe him as God going from one place to another. That the Holy Spirit is God from the Trinity coming down to us, to meet with us. Because the Holy Spirit has come to make his home in us. If you're watching this and you're a believer in Jesus, you're a follower of him, the Holy Spirit has come to make his home in you. It says that in, in John 14 here. We know him for he dwells with you and he will be in you. The Holy Spirit comes face to face with your carefully managed self, the kind of the outside, the exterior of your life, the Instagram presentation of your life. The Holy Spirit sees that. And then he looks inside your life. He sees all the bits that no one else sees. He sees all the brokenness, the dysfunction, the mess, the worries, the fears, the hopes, the dreams, all your secret longings and desires. The Holy Spirit sees both 
the outside and the inside, and yet chooses to move in, chooses to make his home in us. And when the Holy Spirit moves in, he meets all our self-loving statements with a different response. So when we might say, follow your heart, which to be honest is probably the worst advice you could ever give anyone, because I don't know about you, but my heart is telling me a dozen different things all at the same time. It's very irrational. But yet the Holy Spirit comes and says, follow his heart, follow Jesus' heart. The Holy Spirit meets our yearning for for self-esteem and says instead to us, boast in Christ, boast in him, let your heart brag about who he is and what he's done. The Holy Spirit meets our desire for self-worth, for self-value and shows us instead that we're each made in the image of God. That means we're priceless, not because of anything we've done, but because we're made in his image. And that as believers in Jesus, we're given the riches of Christ. He meets our desire to be self-made and says instead, no, we're adopted. We're co-heirs with Christ. That all the fortune we've inherited, all the fortune in our lives, which is really important, which we've received from God, is all inherited. We've not made any of it, but it's been given to us as a gift. The Holy Spirit comes and meets our desire for self-sufficiency, to be able to find all the answers, all the solutions within ourselves. And he shows us that instead our strength is found in our weakness. That when we come to God and admit our brokenness, our faults, our sins, our failings, that that's when his grace floods our life. Because it says in John 14 that God, he meets all our brokenness and says, I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come to you. Just let those words penetrate into your heart today. Maybe if you're feeling broken and dysfunctional, or maybe you're aware of the self-sufficient pride that's trying to keep your life holding together. God says he won't leave you as an orphan, but instead he's come to make his home within you. And if you're watching this and you're not a follower of Jesus, that's what God wants to do, perhaps even today, is come and make his home, his dwelling place, where God is on earth, is with his people, is in your heart. And that doesn't mean that God turns a blind eye to all our mess. But what God wants to do is he wants to rebuild you from the inside out. The Holy Spirit is holy. He's the sanctifying spirit that comes to make you anew, to rebuild you from the inside. It says in 1 Corinthians, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? And then it says in John 14, as Michiel read to us, if you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. It's not that we keep God's commandments 
And then he moves in. No, the Holy Spirit has already come to us to help us to follow him, to help us to live lives of worship to him. And God's not coming to build like a nice new extension onto your life or to put in a new kitchen sink and to clean up the shower. God wants to come in and do a total renovation of your heart. I love it if you've ever walked around our city and you peer into a house uh, where they've completely gutted it, like they're redoing their foundations and the whole house is totally gutted, all the floors are gone, but you know in a few months' time that house will be sparkling anew. And that's what God wants to do in your life, not just come and add a few nice things and you've uh, a floor, a few new additions, a new games room or whatever, the Holy Spirit wants to flood into your life. And it won't be an instantaneous thing, but little by little, he's going to shape you, he's going to change you, he's going to remould you, he's going to rebuild you. Because the language of the Holy Spirit in the Bible is not about little droplets of blessing, it's about the Holy Spirit being poured out. If you read the story of Pentecost, which is what today is all about, Acts chapter 2, you can read the story of how the Holy Spirit comes like, first of all, it comes like a wind, as Joe was reading about earlier, and it breathes through that room where they were meeting. And then it comes like fire and imparts his life to them. Elsewhere in the Bible, it talks about the Holy Spirit being a river of life. He's a river of blessing that we don't just dangle our toes in, but we're plunged right into his goodness, into his blessing. But what we want to do is in our self-idolatry, even as believers sometimes, we, we want to try and control God. We want to come to him on our terms. But it says in John chapter 3, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. I don't mean that to say that the Holy Spirit is a chaotic thing that just wants to cause chaos and drama in your life. No, God is a God of order who steps into the chaos of our lives and puts things back together again. But he does it on his terms. He follows his grand plan, not your plan. Perhaps that's what you just need to do today. Is perhaps you've even are aware of the whisper of the Holy Spirit speaking to an area of your life. And you want to say, no God, I don't, I don't need you there. I want you over here instead. I want you to solve this problem, this corona issue. I want you to fix that. Don't talk to me about those things. Because we want God to come and fix the practical things. We want God to come and give us solid answers to what's going on. But yeah, I think what God's really doing in this season is where we want answers, where we want steps in place, where we want a plan. God is instead speaking right into our hearts. He's calling us to make a lifelong commitment to follow him. See, because there are two ways you can look into the future. You can either 
predict or you can promise. And I don't know about you, in this season I've been doing lots of predicting, trying to figure out what's going to happen next, predicting perhaps when as a church we can meet together again, when life will return to normal. I'm trying to put dates on it and times on it, trying to figure it all out. But yet that's not really a very good way to live. Like on your wedding day, you don't, I didn't stand before my wife, Joe and make predictions. I predict that I'm going to love you. I'm going to predict that I'm going to serve you. No, you, you stand before your wife or your husband and you make promises to one another. You enter into a, a covenant. And that's what God has done to us. He's entered into a promise with us. And he sent the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit, into our hearts. You see, one way that we seek to try and control the Holy Spirit is we keep any experience of God under wraps. We, we intellectualize our relationship with God. And yet, God, he's to be experienced, to be enjoyed. You can enjoy the Holy Spirit at work in your life. The theologian D.A. Carson, when he was talking about this chapter in John, he said the Spirit is to be experienced. The Spirit is to be experienced. Otherwise, the promise of relief from the sense of abandonment is empty. And God has come to us, come to our feeling of being an orphan and yet has flooded us with his presence. The Holy Spirit has come to us so we can experience God. See, one of the most beautiful illustrations of the gospel is the Bible talks about this idea of adoption. The same way that you might adopt a child into your family, we've been adopted into God's family. And I've got friends that have adopted children. And at some point or other, you, you will sign a piece of paper to legally state, this child now belongs to me. And that exchange of paperwork is powerful. But the child, the child really knows he's loved, not by waving a piece of paper around. The child knows he's loved because he experiences, he feels the love of his parents. Let me read a few verses to you from Galatians. It says this, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has, spent, God has sent the spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing in your heart today. He's crying out, Abba, Father. Crying out praise and worship to God. Thanking him for this wonderful adoption we've received. The Reformation theologian John Calvin, he said, that the Holy Spirit dwells in our hearts and he operates so that we can feel the virtue of Christ. What he means is what it says in Romans 5, that God's love has been poured out into our hearts 
through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now, you might doubt, you might have questions about that, and our feeling of the Holy Spirit isn't a uniform experience. As believers, we don't all feel it in the same way. You might have been at church on a Sunday and seen some people just jumping around and celebrating and they just look so happy as though the Holy Spirit has just sort of taken control of their body and you think, why doesn't that happen to me? I think in many ways the work of the Holy Spirit is more like a tide than a wave. That sometimes we just want this big wave of blessing to crash over us. Where sometimes he just the tide just suddenly comes up in our lives. And sometimes it's just those small moments of conviction or those small glimmers of joy, those small reminders of how God loves you, those small moments of just delight or blessing in your life. That's the Holy Spirit at work, helping you to know, to feel, to experience the love of Christ. Let me just close by saying that Today, if you're a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit wants to flood into your heart again. That's one of the wonders of being a Christian is that we can keep coming to God. We can keep asking to be filled with the Spirit again. And the first thing he'll do is the Holy Spirit will come and remind you of the wonderful love of your Savior and his wonderful grace. And if you're watching this and you, you don't know Jesus well, you can receive him today. The Holy Spirit wants to flood into your life too. And maybe just for the first time, show you the rich love of your Savior, that Jesus died for you and that he died to take away all your sins, all your guilt and shame, so that you could have a relationship with God. Let me pray and then the band are going to come and lead us in a couple more songs of worship. Jesus, we... Thank you just for your phenomenal love for us. And I ask right now, Holy Spirit, that all across the city as we're watching this in different rooms and homes, different screens and phones and tablets, I pray right now, Holy Spirit, you would flood into our hearts. Help us to know your phenomenal love for us again. As we sing, let our hearts sing joy and delight and praise to you. Holy Spirit, come and reveal the love of Christ. Pour it out into our hearts again, we ask. Amen.